<laughs> That's chlamydia in three, two, one. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize we were doing the clap because I thought we were doing a joke about about STIs. Okay. We're actually we're actually clapping in okay. three, two, one. Hello, this is episode two of the Android Police Podcast Reboot. My name is Daniel Bader. Uh, to my virtual right, once again, R. Wagner, how are you? Um, I'm good. I got a bit of a headache. So Happy birthday! Yes! It's not your birthday today, but... No, that was, was last birthday. weekend. Mm. So, happy birthday. How was it? It's good. I did uh, three out of four parks at Walt Disney World, and then I did the other park on Saturday. And I think, what did I say? I, I did almost 24 miles of walking between Friday and Sunday. That is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> so because we started hot last week and you kept on referring to the parks with a new audience, I didn't want people to assume what those were. So I'm glad you clarified that it's Walt Disney World when you say the parks, because knowing you, co-hosting a podcast with you for many years, I know what you're talking about, but not everybody knows what the parks are. And uh, I always Come find to it my funny. Twitter. I shall show you. Yes. Inundate you, in fact. <laughs> Speaking of uh, inundation, I don't know why, but uh, to my virtual left, Taylor Kearns, how are you, man? I'm good. I don't know if I would say I'm inundated. I'm feeling no, good. No, you're inundating us. Oh, is I what see. you're doing with your brilliance. That's where I was going with that. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm impressed that you remembered which sides of you we were virtually sitting on. Well, that's the, that's going to be the gag, right? Every week I'm going to get it wrong, and then you guys are going to have to just try to remember which side you're on every week. Doesn't matter which side we're on, so long as we're here. Well, we're broadcasting in spatial audio, obviously. This is Dolby Atmos <laughs> powered. <laughs> so we're just going to have to figure that out. All right, this week we are resuming the format. I just wanted to remind our new listeners, because we kind of have to remind ourselves, each person comes with a list of topics they want to discuss, and we run through them in five to seven minutes. And then at the end, if there's time, we have a kind of bonus round where we just run through some news of the week. So I'll start this week because I'm excited. I want to talk about the Pixel 6a. This has been a phone I think a lot of us have been anticipating. Uh, we saw it hit the FCC this week. It will have millimeter wave in at least one model. We're expecting four models. I'd like the Pixel 5a released last August. This will actually be a wider release. If you remember the Pixel 6a or 5a rather, it was only available in two countries. And that was a little weird. It was weird for me because I'm not in one of those two countries, so I haven't ever touched the phone. But it's basically a rehashed Pixel 4a 5G. It was a very familiar device. Pixel 6a, we're expecting a slightly smaller, hopefully slightly cheaper, definitely Pixel 6, powered by Google's Tensor SoC, cost savings in other areas we would expect, right? Lower RAM counts, potentially reusing the Pixel 5a's camera, which is basically reusing the Pixel 2's camera, if you go back that far. But I am happy that Google is still committed to the A-line. I think it's something that it needs to maintain for the success of the entire Pixel line. I don't know about you, Taylor. You've reviewed the Pixel 6. It's a $599 phone. It's as close to a budget flagship, if you can call it that, as you can possibly get. And with the Pixel 5a, being what, like $450? If the 6A debuts at around the same price, they're really 
won't be a massive delta between the 6A and the 6. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on how Google could position this as kind of its Galaxy A53 competitor, which happens to be about the same price. Yeah, it's tricky. Obviously, the Pixel 6 costing $600, it's not a Samsung situation where they've got the Galaxy S22, you know, going for $800, and then they have many hundreds of dollars to go down to hit a mid-range price. Or a Samsung situation in that they have a phone at every $100 price point, all the way from $100 to like $2,000. Every $50 price point, they have more than one in each of those. That is also true. If you name an amount of dollars, you can buy a Samsung phone for that much money, Three, right? Three dollars, I'll do it. Uh, Sorry, you I mean, just... I probably have one that I would sell you for $3. Shipping might get tricky internationally, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I would like to see it coming in under 450 under the 5A's price, if only to help better differentiate it from the Pixel 6, which is already a mid-range phone in my book. I don't know if that, because we're expecting it to have a Tensor CPU. I don't know if that's going to be good or bad for pricing. I don't know how well Google's got down the manufacturing pipeline for Tensor. But uh, recycling the old cameras, I think, is probably going to do a lot for it. They have to be nearly free by now after, what is it, the Pixel 3? It's been we, They've been using the same module from? It's Pixel 2. That's incredible. Or at least a slightly modified version of it, yeah. I mean, just to say, like, what an amazing sensor, right? I mean, I remember Rita was talking about this in an article, maybe it was last year, right before she left, where it was like, she was using the pixels to take these incredible indoor landscape photos of cathedrals and stuff and how just so reliable this thing is, right? And it was doing it on an aging sensor from like 2016 that really had only been iterated on through software. And it is just a freaking miracle that it happened. Yeah, it's wild. And it's still good too. Like compared to a lot of cameras now, mm -hmm. that four, five-year-old sensor is still kind of kicking ass. Yep. It's crazy. But to be fair, though, we were expecting more from the Pixel 6's camera improvements than we got. I think there are some upgrades that you get in terms of resolve detail from the higher resolution sensor. Night mode is certainly better on the Pixel 6 series. But I would say that the year-over-year -year improvements from the Pixel 5 are minor. And choosing a cheaper Pixel 6 with the older camera, it'll be fine. It will be the phone that I recommend to anybody who doesn't want to spend over $500 on a phone. Oh, absolutely. And that includes the iPhone SE, because what are you doing with that phone in 2022, in my opinion? I mean, it's still one of the fastest phones in the world, to be fair, to the iPhone SE. It's still among the no, fastest know, phones know, you can buy. It's also It also looks like it came out of 2014, which it basically did. For the Pixel 6a, I'm, I honestly don't care which camera they put in it because either one of them is going to be okay. My only camera advice is ditch the wide angle because the wide angle on the Pixel 6 series is just kind of crap. It's too narrow a field to be considered a wide angle lens. I agree. Because we need an actual wide angle on the Pixel 7. Please, please give us an actual wide angle camera at last. But there's only three things I want out of the Pixel 6a. I want it to finally have wireless charging. Nope. I mean, I, I, why not? I, I agree, but it won't. Sorry, continue. Uh, I want it to stay at 450 or below, mm -hmm. and I want them to stick with a 60 hertz screen. What? I, you want that? Yes. Why? For better battery, and because I'm, I'm sorry, I understand that 90 and 20 is the end stuff, but the people buying a Pixel 6a won't care, and it just means that the screen will eat more battery. 
I see where you're coming from, but I also don't think, yeah, I that's an interesting point because uh, Taylor, you just reviewed the Samsung Galaxy A53 5G, which does have a high refresh rate display. 120 hertz. But it's not a massive upgrade over the A52. And there are some clear sacrifices that Samsung makes to, to hit that $450 price point while also incorporating a pretty decent screen. And I think camera is one of those sacrifices. I don't know that it's the camera so much. I think the camera hardware is identical, but they moved this year from... I don't remember which Snapdragon processor it was in the A53 or the A52 off the top of my head, but it's an Exynos 1280 this year, I think. Yeah. And I don't know. Performance is normally fine, but with the camera in particular, popping open the camera app can take two or three seconds occasionally. And I've missed so many pictures of, in particular, my dogs doing anything indoors. It's just impossible to take a picture of that with the A53 because... I don't know if it's the camera processing. It's just, it's so slow. You hit the shutter button. If it's not daylight outdoors, it can take a second or two to actually get a picture, which. Yeah. Eesh. That won't happen on the 6A, most likely. No, definitely Even not. with six Most of likely. Brand. I think you're right. Like what I said about the camera on the A53 was true of the A52. And what you wrote in your review is that it's inconsistent. The quality is decent in like good lighting. You can get some decent shots out of it but it is a chore to use because it feels slow. The shutter is always catching up to you. I just remember this on the A52 when I reviewed it. The photos you get are fine most of the time, but the experience of using the camera is kind of underwhelming. Yeah, it's it's rough. I mean, if you're taking a picture of something with your phone, it's you're probably out and about. You probably don't have 30 seconds to compose and capture your shot. And if your camera can't take a picture in two or three seconds total from pulling it out of your pocket to putting it back in, it's it's going to miss a lot of pictures. Agreed. Yeah. So I want to move on to talk about the Pixel 6 series, because while we expect the Pixel 6a in May, it's not out yet, and there's still going to be a lot to talk about. The 6, at least in my pocket, the 6 and 6 Pro are now running either the April 2022 security patch or... The QPR3 quarterly performance, what's it What's it stand for? I, I always forget. Quarterly platform release. Platform release, thank you. So basically it's a preview of the June feature update for the Pixel 6 series or for the Pixels in general. And these, la- these last two updates, I think, have taken the Pixel 6s from this like unknown place of you're not sure if it's going to be super buggy and you're not sure if the wi-fi is going to connect and you're not sure if you're going to get a decent signal to everybody that i've heard has these updates they're happy with the phone anecdotally i'm not saying everybody is no longer experiencing bugs but compared to the early days now i didn't have any show-stopping bugs on my pixel 6 pro since day one but i feel like i'm in the minority here That said, these last two updates have, when I'm not testing a new phone, lured me back to the Pixel 6 Pro because it is now my favorite phone of all of the devices at my disposal. And I think part of it is just, as Ryan very, very carefully reported earlier this year, a lot of Google's issues with the Pixel 6s have been around not really knowing how to code for the Tensor chip, because 
Android 12 has been rolled out on a monthly cadence to older pixels without issue, right? Nobody's reporting that the Pixel 5 or the 4 series is getting worse month after month, but that was true of the Pixel 6. I think now we're at the point where Google has most of the major bugs under control. We actually have a bug tracking document on the site that you can check out. It has shrunk. <laughs> for, for SEO purposes, it sucks because that was a very, very heavily searched term in the early days. But now it's fine. I'll take the hit because I'm just happy the phone actually works. So if you have a good or bad experience with the Pixel 6 Pro, send us an email, podcast at androidpolice.com, or you can tweet at me at journeydan. I would love to hear about your experience with the Pixel 6 or 6 Pro right now. But finally, in my little segment, I want to talk about Google's new do-it-yourself repair program. They're partnering with iFixit. I'm sure you know iFixit for many, many teardowns. They make good content, but they also make good actual repair kits for your devices. It's similar to the one that Samsung launched for the S20 and S21 line a few weeks ago. We're waiting on parts still, so we don't really have details on what those parts will look like, but it is a big deal. You'll be able to replace the screen on your pixels, the batteries. You'll be able to replace little bits and pieces inside the phone with clear walkthroughs, and they're supporting the Pixel 2 through the Pixel 6 in the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, and in the EU where it's available. I think that's great, and I'm gonna be very eager to volunteer somebody else to take apart their <laughs> Pixel 6 to repair it. So that is the Pixel 6 repair kit. This program coming later with iFixit. All right, I'm going to throw it over to Ara. What's on your plate this week? Well, part of it is what you just said about the jumping back to the Pixel 6 between reviewing devices. And yeah, I have the S22 Ultra. I have used the S22 Ultra. The S22 Ultra is powerful and big and battery lasts all day and... I still just keep getting annoyed and coming back to the Pixel 6. I understand that Samsung is the preference for the vast majority of the Android market, but I'm the so between the software which even with Pixel's bugs, Samsung software still feels more broken to me and the way that I use my phone than it does for anything else. But I also have to wonder if I haven't just been like I I can't live without call screening. And that's one of the biggest reasons to go back to the Pixel is to get call screening back. But I do wonder, Samsung has all of these features and Google has had these feature drops for the Pixels for the last, God, two years now. I wonder if Google is possibly getting too into the feature drops, which definitely are helping people keep the phone and keep using the phone because they've been very, very useful in some cases. But I also wonder if we're also bloating up Pixel phones a little bit with all of this stuff that keeps getting shoved in. Yeah. But I mean, is that a Pixel problem or is that an Android problem? Could go either way, yeah. Right? Because like that distinction is so difficult, both internally for Google as, you know, listeners of Android podcasts, they love Inside Baseball, so I'll just give you a little bit of Inside Baseball here. Google PR is very monolithic, right? It's hard to pierce that armor. And that's fair. It's Google. It's a big company, trillion dollars, whatever. Even they sometimes don't know who should answer a question. When we say, hey, this thing pertains to Android, it pertains to the Pixel, some Pixel features are 
Android features that haven't rolled out to other devices yet. Sometimes even they don't really know how to answer the question and they don't know who should answer the question because it's just a mess. It's a mishmash pit of crazy town. Thanks, <laughs> Jules. I love you. So that's not surprising that you're having that problem. But at the same time, I can't name, and I've been using a Pixel 6 off and on since before it was released. I reviewed it. I can't name a single like feature drop feature that has come to my Pixel 6 that I feel like is in the way or tacked on. Like None of it has bothered me yet. I don't think it's getting significantly more complicated as they add these features. Hmm. Mm, no. It's not getting more complicated. It's just the more that they add, the more things that can break. For the Pixel 6, the December update broke call screening and hold for me when they were fixing all of the other dialer issues. I don't know what it is about Google software that broken as it is just keeps me coming back. Because it's better broken than <laughs> other experiences whole. If it weren't the case, we wouldn't go back to it. I mean, there's a lot of like Samsung stands that accuse Pixel stands of having like Stockholm syndrome, where you just can't get you can't get away from your captor, right? Like you just fall in love with it, even though it gives you a hard time. I, I don't feel that's true. Like as people on this podcast, like we have access to all these devices. It's not unfair to say that even a flawed Pixel software experience married with really decent hardware is still kind of better than what any other manufacturer offers for the most part. I, I think Samsung has made enormous strides. Even companies like Xiaomi and Oppo with MIUI or ColorOS, respectively, have made massive strides in terms of experience, but it's not quite there yet. It's why Google has been able to carve out a name for itself and, and a you know, not a massive, but a, a decent market share in countries where it sells the pixels because of that. The pixel experience seems like uncharacteristically cohesive for a Google product. <laughs> That's amazing. Even when You're things right. aren't working right, like none of it seems like it's half baked or put in the wrong place or ill conceived. It just breaks sometimes. Right. Yeah. That's fair. And I will say that the best parts of that Google experience, all the things that I love about a Pixel, it doesn't matter if I'm on a 6 or if I'm back on my 5A or if I even if I go back to the 4. Speaking of, whenever they have those manufacturer parts and you can repair Pixels, I think the first thing to do is replace the battery in a Pixel 4 and get that back up and running so that way... Because that phone was great. It's just a matter of, by this point, the battery wasn't great to begin with. And if we can replace it, hopefully we can make it last a little bit longer. Because face unlock on the Pixel 4 is still the fastest unlock I've ever had. And I miss it. But even for like the 6A, y'all were talking about the price delta between the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6A. I don't think it needs to necessarily be a big price difference. Because it's not going to be a huge experience difference. The Pixel 6 and then the Pixel 7 is going to have slightly better screen hardware, hopefully better battery life. Although the A series actually, like the Pixel 5a battery was awesome. And I do hope that that sticks around for the Pixel 6a. I don't know. I mean, the Pixel 6 Pro battery is fine. Like I wouldn't say it's awesome, but I've never worried about it the way that like when I was using the Galaxy S22 Plus, I was like, why is it 4 p.m. and I need to recharge my phone? Yeah, but... Traditionally, smaller Google phones have not had great battery life, but the 5A was sort of an exception. I don't know. The Pixel 3A had great battery life. The 4A had great battery life. It was just the 4 that didn't. I don't think you can say the 3A had great battery life. 
Well, I mean, what what's your definition? Because I of remember great? that phone, and I remember dragging it to the parks, and every time I would go to the parks with that phone, I had to make sure I had a power bank in my pocket. Yeah, but that's like saying I'm tired because I ran a marathon. Like, not everybody walks 20 miles a day. No, no, no. Outside no, I of mean, Disney World, being in my apartment all day, not going anywhere, and then at like five or six o'clock, I'm going to a theme park. I'm just going to go ride like two rides and maybe watch fireworks and go home. But I got to bring a power bank because I know that my 3A does not have great battery life. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't remember the 3A being particularly great, but the 4A was great. The 4A 5G was excellent. Like, you'd end the day at like 65%. I can only imagine the 5A was pretty much identical there. 5A was great. 5A could almost go two days on a charge. And I don't think the Pixel 6A is going to be that much. Like, you had no issues, Taylor, on the 6, right? No, never. But I was just thinking, I I can't remember the last time I used a phone for an extended period of time and thought that the battery life was like not acceptable. Phones have great battery life now. (laughs) Right. I think the pandemic has changed how we evaluate or should evaluate batteries. Obviously, like stress testing in previous years would include things like going to another city or leaving our house for more than a few hours at a time. I think with the pandemic forcing everybody to change their habits, phone reviews have sort of had to adapt to that. I'm not saying we don't stress test our phones during product reviews anymore, but we have to be conscious about, okay, well, today we're turning off Wi-Fi. We're actually going to go somewhere. We're actually going to explicitly do something to test our phones. Whereas in the regular course of pre-pandemic life, it was like some days you're at home sitting on a chair for eight hours. Someday you're leaving and you're busy. And that variation would give you a much more coherent idea of what a phone can do and and how well its battery lasts in different situations. We just have less variation in our day-to-day lives, at least for a lot of us. Like maybe you listening are completely back to normal and your routine is out of the house most days and whatever. But for myself, I will say that I'm still very much in like a park my butt on a chair. I don't really go out that much. COVID is still very much a thing. And my behavior is obviously reflected in the experience I have with with batteries. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably relevant. It it may not be relevant to this conversation, but it is certainly relevant. Yeah. All righty. And I think I've dragged us back into Pixel 6 and 6A talks long enough. Taylor, what do you got for this week? Well, this morning, Apple uh, revealed revealed. Why am I saying it like they would say it? Apple had a photo contest um, in January and February for macro photography because the iPhone 13 Pro and Pro Max's ultra-wide cameras can also be used as macro cameras, as is the case with plenty of phones. And the results were outrageous. These pictures are so good. And uh, it got me to thinking, I wish that more Android phones, specifically phones from Samsung, did better at macro photography. The S22 Ultra also can do it with its ultra-wide camera, and it it's fine. But it's Samsung, not it's not very good. But <laughs> Samsung makes hundreds and hundreds and thousands and millions of phones with crappy spec sheet filling macro cameras that just do an awful, awful job. And seeing these amazing pictures coming from the iPhone 13 Pro, it, this feels like something that we're missing on Android as a whole. Are you guys into macro photography? Is this a, is this a thing that interests other people? <laughs> I think there is truth that some phones, like some Android manufacturers have taken 
macro relatively seriously over the years. I don't think Apple is the first, but I do think it's worth noting that when Apple jumps into something and takes it seriously, they tend to do it fairly well. I used the Oppo Find X3 Pro last year, and it had this insane, super close, super macro photography mode. Microscope that, camera, I think it called it. Yeah, the microscope. And it, it worked very, very well. I thought it was really interesting and kind of a playful gimmick. You know, OnePlus has done some macro stuff before. When I went, I got the chance to test the Huawei P30 Pro in 2019 before it got booted off GMS. And I thought the macro mode on that phone was great and a lot of fun. But specifically, I think Samsung's higher end phones should take it more seriously. You're right. Like it's just something that people will care about more if the two biggest phone makers in the world were more serious about it. Apple is clearly doing it now with its ultra wide. So I think, yeah, Samsung should make more of an effort to care about it. And unfortunately, this time around, it just didn't. Yeah, and the S22 Ultra's camera app doesn't even have like a macro mode shortcut in it anywhere. There's an icon in the lower left corner of the viewfinder for it calls it focus enhancer, which doesn't even tell you what it's going to do. And if you turn that on, then when you move the camera close to something, it switches to the ultra wide and crops in to get a macro picture. But it doesn't tell you that any of this is happening and they don't tell you to even try that mode that I saw. But also, Focus Enhancer is bad. It ruins your photos. (laughs) Like, I've fallen prey to Focus Enhancer a lot over the last couple of weeks as I've been testing the S22 Ultra, and it's worse having it on than off. I don't know. I mean, Apple didn't do a great job at the beginning with its macro mode either on the iPhone 13. As you got close to a subject, it would transition to that ultra-wide and try to make it seamless, but it really wasn't, and it was quite poor at detecting when it was close to a subject, but it iterated on that through updates and now it's an optional toggle if you want it. And focus enhancer, to be fair, is an optional toggle on the S22 Ultra, but it does not do the same thing. It's not a macro mode in nearly the same way. It's a half measure as Samsung's many camera features are in in a lot of cases. Yeah. I would also love to see uh, a macro mode on a Pixel which we have never had. People thought that the Pixel 6 had it, but it turned out that it was just, people were just cropping in on normal (laughs) pictures. Yeah. Well, I get why everybody thinks that macro photography is just this wonderful thing, and it is. It's just also a very niche form of photography, and I'd rather Google focus on making motion photos better and less blurry. Like, the photo features that Google has chosen to focus on, I think, are more useful to the average consumer than trying to make a macro photography mode that it'll be cool to creators and some artisans but regular people probably won't use it for much unless they're going to do something really interesting with a food instagram pic yeah and i mean come on so many things need to line up to take proper macro photos the lighting is always a challenge because you have to be very close to what you're taking a picture of that oppo phone that we mentioned earlier had like a ring light around its camera to solve this but most phones don't And when you have your phone two centimeters from something, it's probably blocking all the light to it. It is hard to use, but 100 times software zoom on the Galaxy S22 Ultra is also hard to use and bad and not something people need, but it's still something that they push. So I think I'd I'd get more use out of a good macro mode than I do a good 100 times zoom mode, personally. I agree. I can agree with that. For sure. I use macro way more often. 
I might also just be being petty because I, my hands shake and I will never, ever be able to take a macro photo worth a damn. Because I will never be able to keep a phone that steady, that close to my subject without ruining it. Yeah, agreed. That's why you need a light. You just need a flash that's not terrible. But uh, most flashes are bad. They're fill flashes, they're too bright, or they're just too harsh. Oh, I'm not even talking about lighting. Just to get the shot to be, you know, not blurry. Because your hands can't tremble at all when you're doing the macro photography. Yeah, I mean, or you add a an optical image stabilization module onto an ultra-wide camera lens and hope that that's at least partially solves the problem. But that's pretty <laughs> difficult to find on a, on a phone these days. Yeah. All right, last thing we want to talk about today, and I think this is a nice way to close it out. So everybody loved when Google Photos offered free, unlimited, high-quality or original-quality storage for Pixel users. Well, now T-Mobile is sort of bringing it back with an exclusive Google One plan for T-Mobile subscribers. It's basically a way for... T-Mobile users to get back in the original quality game on Google Photos. I'll, I'll read out the article. Starting at April 26th, T-Mobile's postpaid customers will be able to sign up for an add-on plan that comprises the existing two terabyte Google One storage plan, plus unlimited original resolution storage in Google Photos for an additional $15 a month. So the existing two terabyte Google One plan that's open to anyone costs $10 a month, month which means that you're just paying $5 a month more for unlimited Google Photos at original quality. Now, I don't know about you. I already pay for the two terabyte plan. I don't think I'm going to fill up my storage anytime soon. But having the comfort to know that I don't really have to care and it doesn't need to be associated with a pixel, that's nice, right? Like this was a pixel-only thing before. Now it's available to any T-Mobile phone plan unless i'm missing something ara i don't think you're missing anything although i will say i think this is just getting you to pay more money for space that you're basically already paying for because the amount of 4k video you would need to fill two terabytes is pretty high and most people are not recording in 4k they're recording in 1080p yeah although i will say i did actually fill up my two terabytes but that was because um sms backup and restore on my mom's phone was set to back up all of her SMS and MMS messages every single day. So it was backing up an additional gigabyte of data to Google Drive every single day. And it did this for like three years. Holy cow. Wow. That's a yeah, lot. No, that, that was impressive because I was like, how are we full? Wait, how did all of this get in here? And then we deleted the, uh, it took me batches to delete the folder because I could not delete them all at once. So PSA, as we end our podcast. PSA. Uh, make sure your, your mom's phone settings are not uh, out of control because it'll cost you money. Yeah. Because I was like, what the heck? I'm going to run out of space for my actual photos. But yeah, I mean, photo storage is not going to take that much room, even if you are an absolute shutter bug. Like I use my cell phone camera. I use the cameras on my cell phone to take pictures for work. I have tens of thousands of photos that I use from taking like reviews and hero images and whatever. And it's still not taking up that much room. You can store decades worth of media in Google Photos before you hit the two terabytes. I mostly think this is a matter of people like the word unlimited. And Google and T-Mobile have realized, oh, hey, if we do this, we can get them to pay more. But they're not really going to be using any more data than they already are. I think it's for people that upload to Google Photos professionally that don't want to have like 
a Google Drive folder full of stuff, but they're just uploading. Well, but your Google Photos sounds towards Google One. They're the same storage. No, I know. You can upload it to If you have this, then that doesn't happen. If you're just uploading to Google Photos, then if you're uploading at original quality, it doesn't count towards that two terabyte space. Yeah. It's essentially infinite. I don't think it's a great deal. I mean, it's $15 for the two terabytes plus the unlimited photo storage. Just the two terabytes is $10. So it's $5 for unlimited photo storage. But to Ara's point, I did some quick, probably wrong math. And like (laughs) to fill up two terabytes, even without the unlimited photo storage with like cell phone sized pictures, you'd have to upload half a million of them about. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But if you have a child or a pet, that's not that difficult, I will say. I've taken more photos of the last four years of dogs and children than I ever thought possible in my life. So don't cut parents. Yeah, but half a million. I mean, come on. Yeah, don't don't put it past us. Parents, uh, they, they love photos. Just saying. Also, uh, this, I, I assume, I'm hoping that T-Mobile thinks this could trap people on T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to get unlimited Google Photos storage right now that I'm aware of. So like, If you have this through T-Mobile and you're considering shopping for a new wireless plan, but you also rely on the unlimited Google Photos storage, you're not going to switch away. Like, you're not going to switch to Verizon to save $10 a month or something if it also means that you have to figure out a whole new file storage solution. What is a carrier feature or a carrier plan if not just another form of lock-in to increase ARPU and to lower churn? That is all carriers do all day, every day. So uh, yeah, that's not surprising. But uh, T-Mobile of all the three carriers is definitely the best at it. Yeah. Oh, this is only on postpaid plans, we should specify. So if you're using like, for example, I have T-Mobile's ridiculously cheap, I think I get five gigs of data, it's $25 a month. But I cannot add this because I don't have a postpaid plan because that cheap plan is only available prepaid. Yeah. Well, let us know what you think about this plan or all of our other topics that we talked about today, podcast at androidpolice.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you to everybody who sent in such nice emails last week. I was not prepared for the love, uh, especially since we have not advertised this at all yet. I was waiting until our second episode was live before we went public with all of our advertising and tweets and stuff but uh, if you want to get a hold of us i'm at journey dan ara is ara wagco taylor is at taylor kearns although he's not on twitter i am a Uh, prolific tweeter don't listen to daniel you should definitely follow Uh, me for all of my great tweets and jules is at point jules we are all at androidpolice.com thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week